Thank you, Alex. That was awesome. Hey, we love our youth and our kids and just want you to know what's happening there. So that, was an, that announcement was for you, parents, and uh, we want you to stay connected and be informed. I love that new series, TikTok Theological Seminary. I think I said that right. That's going to be awesome. And that's a great-looking mustache you got over there, too, Alex. <laughs> Hey, uh, we love our dream teams. We are so thankful for all of them. We had a great fiesta. Did anybody come to the fiesta Friday? Oh, my goodness. It was so good. It was so fun. Thank you for coming out and letting us celebrate you. You know, we believe that there's no great chasm between clergy and congregation. We are all on the same team together, but it was uh, an opportunity for us to just love on our, on our teams and to thank you for your faithful service. Uh, we have brand new trucker style dream team hats that we handed out. And uh, if you're a dream teamer, we know a lot of you missed for whatever reason you couldn't make it, but we do want to make sure you get your dream team trucker hat, has dream team on the front, Calvary on the side, and uh, I'm not sure what that little string is there for, but it's, it's a good looking trucker style cap that uh, somebody told me that they already had been using theirs mowing the lawn yesterday. So uh, if you're on the dream team and didn't get your hat, uh, we want you to pick one up in the Welcome Center. Who's on the dream team that wasn't here that needs their hat? Anybody? Right here. Oh, Miss Louisa. Here you go, dear. Oh, good hands. Good hands. Now, I just also want to uh, remind you about the 21 days. I know we talked about that. But as we're doing that, would you maybe um, make sure that you can be here every Sunday? When's the last time you came three consecutive Sundays? Uh, most of you would, might say yes, but some of you not. I would just challenge you. The Lord kind of put that on Kelly's heart uh, that for the next 21 days, why don't we even make Sunday services a priority to get to the house of the Lord, give God your first and your best, not just of your serving and your giving, but your first and best of your week. And so that's why we come to church on Sundays. We give God the first day of our week. So uh, I expect to see all of you back next week for the first Sunday of September, it's going to be good. Well, we're going to be in the book of Matthew this morning, Matthew chapter 10. Jesus has been healing people and touching them and helping them and performing miracles uh, going about to the, the region of Capernaum there. As we ended chapter 9, we saw that he told his disciples that he's, been, he's moved with compassion as he's being among the people. He, his heart breaks for them. He sees them lost like a sheep without a shepherd. And he said, therefore, we should pray for laborers that would tell people about the kingdom of heaven. And then we move into chapter 10. We did that last week. It was the beginning of Matthew's second discourse, the missions, the missionary discourse. And last week, we, we learned the names of all the 12 disciples, the original 12. And Jesus was giving them instruction before sending them out to tell them about the kingdom of God. And it was a, a good reminder to us that once we hear about Jesus, once we become followers, we're also to become laborers. We are to go. We don't hear the message and keep it to ourselves and stay put. We are to go and spread the good news. And so as we pick it up at chapter 10, verse 16, that's the context. Jesus has sent us out to go town by town, village by village, House to house, person to person, telling people about Jesus. So let's pick it up. Matthew chapter 10, verse 16. Jesus says this. I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. And hopefully by the end of our time, we'll get through uh, verse 22. But let me pray. Thank you, Lord, for our time together that we have to come together and worship you and to learn more from your word. I pray that you would speak to each and every heart today. May we leave better because we've been in your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. So Jesus says, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. 
Be shrewd like snakes. Be innocent like doves. So things seem to have uh, taken a dramatic turn. I mean, remember, we've just read and, and studied where he was healing and helping people and invited 12 to be in his inner circle. And now he says, uh, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Now, we might be wondering to ourselves, what kind of shepherd sends their sheep out among the wolves? Wolves are dangerous, don't you know? In fact, wolves see sheep as prey, and they see them as a, a lunch. Man, that's a nice lunch there. I think I'm going to eat that sheep for lunch. They're dangerous. This doesn't seem very loving from the shepherd. It sounds like they're getting sent out to their death. Well, remember, we are to read God's word. We read the Bible in context. We don't just cherry pick verses here and there. We read it in context. And if you remember a few verses earlier, in fact, we studied last week, Jesus told him that I am sending you out, but I'm sending you out with my power, with my authority. And he challenged them, you need to go raise the dead and heal the sick and cast out the demons. He, he sent them out not powerless, but powerful. He equipped them. Remember we talked about those that he calls, he will equip. And he gave them power and authority, including power and authority over darkness and demons and disease. So when he sends us out, we might be sheep among the wolves, but he doesn't send us out alone. We go with his power. We go with his authority. When we labor for the Lord, we don't labor alone. First off, remember, he sent them out two by two, so we have somebody with us. We've got somebody who's got our back, someone that we can minister with side by side, and he's also giving us his power, his authority, and his spirit. But Jesus is also saying, hey, listen up, it's not going to always be easy. This Christian journey isn't going to always be easy. Actually, it's just the opposite you can be sure that you're going to face some persecution along the way. I kind of appreciate that about Jesus, that he's a straight shooter. Right? He doesn't do this kind of bait and switch thing. He doesn't promise one thing but deliver another thing. And he never promised that this Christian life was going to be lollipops and roses all the time. He said there are going to be times that you are ridiculed. There are going to be times of persecution. And he wanted to make sure that you understood the cost of following him. There's the potential for you to pay a price for following Jesus. There's the potential for paying a price. So you've got to count the cost even before you, you spread the good news of, of, telling him about, about telling others about Jesus. But Jesus is very clear what we are getting into. He wants to make sure you know up front you can expect persecution. And for us today, the persecution isn't to the extreme degree from, from those early disciples. We understand that, that motive, most of us probably aren't going to be martyred for our faith in Jesus. We understand that most of us aren't going to be martyred like some are even today in, in the 21st century. But it is also apparent that in 2022, United States of America, that, that uh, hate is more prevalent when it comes to the things of the Lord. Religious freedoms are eroding right out from underneath us. So now holding a biblical worldview is viewed as antiquated and outdated and outlawed in much of the public square. Holding fast to God's word, having God standards of morality aren't welcome in the marketplace of ideas any longer. In fact, they're mocked and they're ridiculed. Let me give you a couple of examples. Jack Phillips, you may remember him. He was a baker from the state of Colorado who has been harassed for over 10 years now. He was asked and, and had requests to make cakes that celebrated profane kind of things. But he didn't agree to do that. He didn't agree to make those profane cakes. So he was dragged in and out of the court and was uh, caught up in some lawsuits and litigation and simply for trying to run his business in a way that pleased the Lord. His case did prevail, fortunately. 
at the Supreme Court level, but despite the victory, still today he deals with harassment. There's a florist in the state of Washington. Her name is Baronelle Stutzman. She was eventually forced into retirement because she refused to compromise her Christian faith and convictions and participate in the celebration of, of sin and with her floral company. More recently, Coach Joe Kennedy was fired for exercising his First Amendment rights to pray in public following football games. Maybe you saw his story on the news. A government entity literally punished an individual simply for engaging in a brief prayer. It took almost seven years to undo his unjust termination, taking his case all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court, which fortunately ruled that prayer is still protected by the First Amendment of the Constitution. Praise God for that. Speaking of the Supreme Court, since the latest reversal of the Roe v. Wade decision, pro-life crisis pregnancy centers have been targeted and vandalized and even encouraged to be vandalized, all because they take a pro-life approach. Right down the road in Bethesda, Maryland, a church was set on fire in protest of their pro-life biblical view. Churches, even right here in the U.S., have been fined for holding church services when they were supposed to be shut down. In Canada, pastors have been arrested for doing the same thing. Also in Canada, a father was arrested, catch this, for protesting the use of puberty blockers and other procedures to chemically castrate his daughter, who was in the custody of her mother at the time. Public schools are being turned into anti-God, secular indoctrination camps. Some school districts are encouraging teachers and students to keep certain bits of information secret from their parents. Now listen, you're, you're going to identify as this while you're here at the school, but don't tell your mom and dad. Don't tell them that we gave you that, uh, that, that abortion don't tell them that we helped you find an abortion. Don't tell them about the birth control pills that we put you on. Don't tell them about these gender identities that we're shoving down your throat, amongst other things. By the way, we are thankful for godly teachers that are in our public schools, right? Many of which are here today. It's a good reminder that we need to be praying for our public teachers and lifting them up. So if you're here in this place, we love you. We are praying for you. Don't give up. We need you in the public schools. Now listen, we are not being fed to lions. No one's going to be beheaded today because of their faith in Jesus like the first century Christians and believers. But we need to be aware that we are being deplatformed and targeted and canceled and silenced. Jesus warned his followers about this. Be prepared for persecution. In fact, a couple of verses earlier, he said, spread the good news. Go tell everybody that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You, you need to do that. It's imperative that you do that. And I'm sending you with my power, my authority, my spirit. However, if they don't receive it, it's not on you. That old saying, you can lead a horse to water, but you, you can't make him drink, right? Look at verse 14, just a couple of verses earlier. He says, if anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or town and shake the dust off your feet. Then he says, truly I tell you. Truly means, hey, I'm putting some extra emphasis on here. Lean in. Truly I'm telling you this, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. Now, if you're new to the Bible, new to church, you're not familiar with Sodom and Gomorrah. This was, uh, this was two kind of sister towns in the Old Testament that we find that were the very definition of evil and wickedness. A man named Lot and his family lived in Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot was, of course, the nephew of Abraham. 
And he was living in this, in this uh, wicked, wicked town. And God wanted to rain down judgment and destroy the city because he couldn't take the wickedness any longer. And he tried to hold off as long as possible to give people enough opportunity to, to turn from their wicked ways, to repent. In fact, there was prayers that said, God, if there's 50 people would you not send your destruction? But 50 people couldn't be found. Lord, if there's 20, 10, 5, and, and no righteous were to be found in the city. So God sent an angel to Lot and his family said, you need to leave town right now because God is going to rain down fire and completely destroy the town and all its people in Sodom and Gomorrah. This was a wicked, wicked town. Selfishness. Greediness, hedonistic, neglecting the poor, neglecting widows, most famously of all, debauchery and sexual sin that was beyond reprehensible. That description sounds rather familiar to some of our culture today even. Sodom and Gomorrah wanted nothing to do with God or the things of God. And so they paid the price. So Jesus comes along as he's talking to his followers. He says, those that reject the word, their fate is going to be the same, if not worse, than Sodom and Gomorrah. I mean, that's, that's some pretty intense stuff right there, right? When we read these words from Jesus, it doesn't sound like long, flowy-haired, blue-eyed Jesus, does it? This doesn't sound like mild-mannered, go-with-the-flow, super-compassionate and loving, tender, soft Jesus. This Jesus seems to have a major issue, a major disdain for wickedness. Just a few weeks back, we studied where Jesus called Matthew. And he was a sinner. He was a tax collector. He was despised. He was like the scum of the earth. And Jesus said, hey, Matthew, I'm coming to your house today. We're going to hang out. We're going to have a dinner party. In fact, invite all of your sinner friends. We're going to hang out. And Matthew described Jesus as a friend of sinners. And he is. We need to understand that. He is a friend of sinners. But yet, but yet we see this picture of Jesus as well. Well, it's true. Jesus did come for the sick, not the well. He did come for the sinners. But eventually, for everyone, there will come a day when we can no longer delay the decision to follow Jesus. You understand what we're saying? We can no longer delay the choice. Will we, will we choose Jesus or will we reject Jesus? Will we accept the gospel or will we refuse the gospel? Listen, at the end of our lives, we are not going to accidentally wind up in heaven. You understand that? We're not just going to be able to live like we want to live, uh, die one day and just wake up. Oh, cool. How did I end up here? No, making it to heaven is an intentional daily decision to go with Jesus in spite of persecution, in spite of ridicule. Jesus here is trying to get our attention. He's saying, wake up. You've been going through life ho-hum, not giving any thought to eternity. So, so, so which is it? You know, is it, is it kind, loving, compassionate Jesus? Or is it one that hates and despises sin and will execute judgment? Well, it's both, right? Both can exist at the same time. Yes, he is love. Yes, he is merciful. Yes, he is compassionate and kind. But he also hates sin, and he will not tolerate it in his house. So he's saying, wake up. Understand that every decision we make carries with it major consequences. And he says, go tell people about Jesus. It's our job to introduce Jesus to people. It's on them whether or not they will accept the invitation. Right? Rejecting Jesus does, however, come with severe judgment. Some may accept him. You did, praise the Lord. Some may reject him. 
And some may accept him in a little bit. I like how Paul put it in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He said, I planted the seed. Then Apollos, he watered it. But God has been making it grow. Right? Your version might say, God brings the increase. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes everything grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. I was at a missions seminar yesterday, and uh, they reminded us the importance of mission, and they were sharing how there are certain missionaries who have gone to some of the remote parts of this earth that will minister year after year after year, and no one makes a decision to follow Jesus. I wonder how many of us that used to be lost, you had a praying mama or grandma or loved one or friend who was praying for you year after year. But finally, you came to repentance. There are people in our lives who just kept planting like Paul, that kept watering like Apollos. And by the way, that's what we're supposed to do. That's what we are here on this earth for. We should plant. We should water. But don't kick yourself. Don't blame yourself if they ultimately choose to reject Jesus. It's just our job to keep telling them about Jesus. We can't save people. That's on Jesus. Right? The obedience is up to us. The results are up to God. We don't have to worry about the results. We just need to obey. We just need to go spread the good news and water the seed. So Jesus says, I'm sending you out to share the gospel, and I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Sheep and wolves. He's trying to paint a contrast here. There's a difference between sheep and wolves. In other words, we as sheep aren't supposed to be like the rest of the world. Okay? We are God's sheep, not the world's wolves. That means we are to carry with us and in us the very nature and characteristics of the Heavenly Father. See, we're not going to convince a wolf to become a sheep by acting like wolves. Let me share this so they can hear it in the back. (laughs) We won't convince a wolf to become a sheep by acting like wolves. Do you understand what we're saying here? We're not going to outworld the world, if you will. Right? A Christian who tries to look and act and behave like the world in attempts to reach the world is simply wasting their time. We're not going to out-sin the sinner. Right? We're not going to outworld the world. We're not going to outwolf the wolf. Tweet that, right? What'd you learn today? I don't outwolf the wolf, I guess. <laughs> there should be different, something different about us as sheep, God's sheep, that's different than the world's wolves. It causes us to stand out from among them. And it's not because we're better, it's because we found someone that is better. We have found Jesus who's made our life brand new. So the draw and the allure of the wolf life no longer has an appeal to us. We now belong to Jesus. And the Jesus inside of us should cause us to look different than the rest of the world's wolves. So we are his sheep sent to the wolves to tell others about Jesus And he said, you can expect danger along the way. Now, you parents out there, it's your nature to want to protect your kids at all costs. Especially in 21st century America. I get that. It is our inclination to want to protect our kids from the world's wolves. And I know it's worse than ever. I grew up mainly in the 80s. And it was a lot different back then. Kids, we did not have internet in the 1980s. We couldn't text friends. 
We couldn't check in on social media. It was awesome, by the way. We, <laughs> we had landlines. Have you ever seen a phone connected to a wall? That's amazing. You could actually, uh, I don't know about your town, but in my town, you could pick that up. You could call a number to find out what the time and temp is. So when you were out and about, I wonder what time and what's the temperature? You can just call the number. That's pretty cool. Now we just look at our phones, but there was a number you could call for time and temp. But back then, we were never told to get out of the house. We wanted to get out of the house. It was fun. We wanted to go play down by the creek. We wanted to shoot some hoops. We wanted to play baseball and kickball and some freeze tag. Red, Red Rover, anybody? Come on. Y'all remember those games? Right. We wore ourselves out. And we didn't come home for hours. And mom didn't even give a thought of it. I guess, I'll, I mean, if you want to come back for lunch, great. Otherwise, we'll see you for dinner in about six hours. Right? Now, of course, today, there's no way we would let our kids be unaccompanied for that long. We understand that it is a different world, that there are more wolves than ever out there today. Well, Jesus sent his followers like sheep among the wolves. But unlike us parents, we don't have to be scared because the good shepherd is always with us. The good shepherd has our back. Psalm 23, one of the classic scriptures. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because he's with me. The great shepherd, his rod and staff, they comfort me. The good shepherd is with me. We are not alone when we are going out to spread the good news of Jesus. Then Jesus gives us some strategy, gives us some further tips. Verse 16, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves. Be like a snake and be like a dove. Be shrewd and be innocent. Now, this may sound confusing because snakes are often associated with evil. So why do we want to be like a snake? Scholars say that, that perhaps this was adapted from a local proverb of that era. But Jesus isn't saying that we should be slimy and sleazy like a snake. He's not saying don't be a sleazeball. He's not saying uh, go and take advantage of people. Rather, we're like a snake. We are shrewd in that we learn how to navigate through people. We learn to navigate through circumstances, navigate through situations without drawing too much attention to ourselves. Snakes have a, a way about them that allow them to maneuver without being noticed very much. They don't live in this loud kind of way, this big bombastic way. They have to use wisdom. They have to be careful when they maneuver. Otherwise, they'll be attacked by other predators. So Jesus is saying that you and I need to be discerning when we're spreading the seed of God's word. We need to be shrewd. We need to be wise. We need to be opportunistic. We need to know what to say and when to say it and how to say it. I like the way Charles Swindoll writes about it. He said, it is neither wise nor brave to be abrasive, coarse, retaliatory, inconsiderate, belligerent, or blunt. Verbal abuse is still abuse. He goes on, believers are to stay gentle in their tone, gracious in their responses, and disarming in their charm, even in the midst of slathering wolves. I like that. Jesus is saying, use the keen, shrewd instincts of the snake, but do it with the kindness and innocence of a dove. Okay, we're using both there. Now, a dove is symbolic, is a picture of the Holy Spirit, right? And all that comes with the Holy Spirit includes the fruit of the Spirit. 
love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. We should be shrewd like a snake. Use wisdom, but let's also do it with the kindness and innocence and have the fruit of the Spirit on us. Be shrewd and innocent, he said. Then he goes on, be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and be flogged in the synagogues. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them, them talking about the Jews, and to the Gentiles. So here, Jesus gave the disciples, he's giving them a warning for both the right now mission trip and the future ventures that are to come. Well, how do we know that? Well, this particular trip that he's sending them out, if you remember, we studied last week, was to the Jews first. He said, go to the house of Israel first. That, that's for this first trip. Secondly, we know that this is for the immediate trip and future trips is because on this first trip, they were not flogged. They were not beaten. They were not dragged before kings and governors. Now, they may have uh, received a little bit of resistance here and there along this first trip, but later the persecution would be severe. Later, after Jesus ascended back to the Father and they would go and spread the good news, not just to the Jews, but to the Gentiles and to the uttermost parts of the world, they would be mocked. They would be ridiculed. They would be thrown in prison. They would be flogged and beaten and eventually executed. All of them, all of the disciples became martyrs who died for the sake of Jesus. Man, flogged, beaten, executed. Wow, that's a great sales pitch, Lord. Where do I sign up? Right? I think Jesus may have missed Marketing 101 at school. If you want people to follow you, if you want them to be in your inner circle, you may want to leave out the parts about flogged and beaten and executed. Might want to leave that part out of the invitation. And listen, it is simple. It is easy in a way to follow Jesus because he did the hard work, right? He's the one that took the sins of the world upon himself, died on a cross, was despised and rejected by the world. He took our sins. He sacrificed his life. So in comparison to that, in comparison to what he did, we've got it relatively simple and easy. But at the same time, Jesus is saying, following me, may carry with it some difficult times. There could be times of mocking and ridicule and rejection and persecution. But I love the disciples' perseverance. They did not let that threat deter them from following Jesus. They actually embraced the persecution. They were so all in for Jesus. They were sold out for him. They were convinced of the deity of Jesus Christ. They were convinced that he is the Messiah. They were convinced that he is the only way to heaven, the way, the truth, the life, the only pathway to salvation. They literally put their lives on the line. They believed in it so much. And why would they do that? All they would have had to do to avoid execution is take it all back. Just claim that, well, Jesus wasn't really the Messiah. He didn't really rise from the dead. He's, he's just a good man. Never mind. We, we take all that back. Just, please don't execute me. But none of them did that. None of them were willing to deny the Lord Jesus Christ to avoid execution. In fact, they all gladly accepted their fate because they passionately believed in Jesus. And they passionately believed in spreading the good news of Jesus to the world. They considered it a privilege to be persecuted for Jesus Christ. That's challenging to me. I wonder how many of us here today have the mentality that it's a privilege. When the disciples are listed in the Bible, Peter's all, always the first in the four times that we see all 12 of them listed. Peter wrote this in chapter four of 1 Peter. If you are insulted 
because of the name of Christ, guess what? You are blessed. Did you catch that, students? When you get made fun of for going to the Bible club at your school, when you get made fun of because you refuse to participate in that unsavory behavior, because you choose to keep your virginity and save yourself, and you're insulted and mocked and made fun of, remember Peter's word. He says, if you go through that, you're blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should be not as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as Christian, do not be ashamed, but rather praise God that you bear that name. Talking about the name Christian, you bear the name of Christ. You are blessed if you're insulted. You are blessed if you're mocked and ridiculed and have to suffer for Jesus. Did you know that there have been more martyrs in the last century than the previous 19 centuries combined? Also, there have been more people that have come to Christ the last century than the previous centuries combined. That's pretty cool. With greater persecution comes greater effectiveness. When they turn the heat up and try to silence the word of God and try to silence the good news of Jesus, it always backfires. The word just keeps spreading all the more. Even more people get saved. By the way, Jesus prophesied that would happen. He said, in the last days, you can expect for persecution to get heavier and heavier and more and more. You're going to be persecuted on my account. But he said, also, simultaneously, the word of God is going to spread exponentially. Both are happening at the same time. Revival is happening while persecution is happening. They kind of go hand in hand. So I wonder if maybe we're not experiencing the revival that we are praying and believing God for because we haven't put ourselves out there like the disciples have. We've kind of hidden from persecution instead of embracing it. Oh man, you mocked me, you made fun of me. Praise God, that means another person's about to get saved. What if we lived with that kind of attitude? Instead of trying to outworld the world, right? Let's stand out among them. Let's be bold about our faith and watch Jesus respond and send a mighty harvest of souls. It's going to be awesome. All right, verse 19. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Okay, that's pretty cool. Jesus, first of all, he guarantees persecution once again. <laughs> he said, when they deliver you over, not if. When you're persecuted, not if. When you're arrested, not if. Now, to most, this would have been a, a terrifying thought. Being dragged and interrogated in front of the leaders and it wasn't so much they were terrified about the physical harm that might come to them, but they were afraid of what they were going to say. They weren't lawyers by trade. They didn't have a public defender to help them during their interrogation. Like, what am I going to say here? They weren't excellent wordsmiths or skillful speakers. So Jesus preemptive, pre mm -hmm. <laughs> he tells them in advance. Don't worry about it. Because at that time, at that hour, the Spirit of God is going to speak right through you. You don't have to worry about it. You don't have to stay up all night thinking about what you're going to say. How am I going to defend Jesus today at the workplace? How am I going to defend my virginity at school today? When the time comes, the Spirit is going to quicken your thoughts Quicken your mind and quicken your mouth so you can share that choice morsel, that right now word for that moment in the right time. And later in Acts chapter 2, Jesus actually came through with his promise. 
when he sent the Holy Spirit that empowered them, that he was able to speak through, that gave them boldness and courage to fulfill the commission that Jesus gave them. Now, some of us, we get so worked up that, man, what am I going to say? How am I going to say it? And we, we tend to overthink scenarios. We overthink things. Well, what if, what if they say this instead of that? Or, or what if I forget to share that part? I mean, I might mess it up. Well, Jesus is he's saying, when you're following me, I've got your back. The Holy Spirit will give you that word for that moment as you're interacting with the wolves. Now, Jesus is not saying that you can just uh, forego preparation and prayer. He's not saying that, that you just fly by the seat of your pants. We still are called to pray and fast. We should be regularly in God's word. Paul wrote to Brother Timothy in 2 Timothy, I think it was, study to show yourself approved. Okay, we should study, we should fast, we should pray, but we should not worry or be anxious because the Holy Spirit has a limitless supply of wisdom. He never runs out of wisdom, never runs out of words that he's going to speak through us, his servants. So don't worry. Don't worry about what you're going to say, how you're going to say it. Well, what else did Jesus have to say? Verse 21, brother will deliver brother over to death and the father his child. And children will rise against parents and have them put to death. This is some heavy stuff here. Brother is going to attack brother. Parents and children are going to turn one another, turn on one another and, and turn them into to the rulers to be executed. And martyred. Jesus was warning them that the gospel might even divide families. Some of the most severe persecution might come through the hands of a blood relative. And I'm sure if we had a show of hands today, some of you could confirm Jesus' prediction. You've experienced extreme ridicule and persecution from your own family. Maybe you were living a certain way, the, the way that you were taught to grow up. Well, this is how we do things. We don't worry about the things of the Lord. We live like this, and we base our decisions upon that. We live in a way that's contrary to God and his moral standards. And then you find Jesus. You turn to him. You've been made new. But that same family that once loved you has rejected you. You're no longer welcome here. You and your Jesus can get on out of here. It's heartbreaking that some of the most severe persecution comes at the hands of those that are supposed to love us the most. Jesus says that faith in him will literally tear families apart. We can't leave you there. One last verse. We're not going to leave you on that note. We're going to bring it up just a little bit, okay? And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. Okay, what is he saying there? They're going to hate you, but it's not because they hate you. It's more that they hate me. He's saying they hate the sheep, but they really hate the shepherd. So we're in good company, right? If they hate Jesus, they're going to hate us. That means, that means we're in good company, but, but it's not because of us. It's because they hate Jesus. It's for his sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. The one who endures to the end will be saved. Now, Jesus is not saying that endurance, enduring to the end, is the pathway to salvation. That's not what he means here. Remember, we are not saved because of anything we can do on our own. There's not enough good deeds. There's not enough good works that we can do to earn salvation. We are saved by grace through faith in him. But what Jesus is saying is that those who are still standing, those who are still believing and trusting in him, even after all that persecution, they will enter the kingdom of heaven. 
So the endurance isn't the entrance to heaven. The endurance is the evidence of a life committed to Jesus. Did you catch that? The endurance isn't the entrance. The endurance is the evidence. Now, some may quit along the way. Many won't be able to endure to the end. But if we'll keep following Jesus, no turning back, though none go with me, it will be worth it all. We'll, we, we will be saved and we will enter the joys of heaven to be with Jesus Christ forever and ever. And all God's people said amen. 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 Hey, let's bow our heads. Close our eyes today as we close. We want to give you an opportunity to respond to the word. I wonder what the Holy Spirit is speaking to you this morning. As his word has gone forth, what's he been speaking to your heart? How do you need to respond? Maybe you've been convicted of some things as you've heard the word. Maybe you've become negligent or complacent in your walk with the Lord. Maybe you've been afraid of the wolves, so you've started to act like one. Try to just blend in in the crowd. Listen, my first invitation is for those who need to make Jesus Christ the Lord and Savior of your life. Look all the way back to the beginning of the message you know, we love how Jesus is just straight up. He's telling you the facts. This is how it's going to look like. There could be times of persecution. There could be times where you're mocked and ridiculed and insulted. But can I tell you, the, the Christian life isn't just going through persecution. Jesus also said that he's come to bring life and life to the full. So we love Jesus so much that when we are persecuted for his sake, it's actually a joyful occasion. I actually smile when I think about taking one for the team, taking one for Jesus. Now, listen, all that persecution might come, but he's got a bunch of joy for you and healing for you and victory and abundance and peace all of that he has for you. No one can satisfy your soul like Jesus. And so if you're ready to make Jesus the Lord of your life, maybe you've never done that or maybe you did a long time ago, but you've kind of strayed away, you want to come back home to him. Now's your chance, now's your opportunity. Today is not the day of judgment like Sodom and Gomorrah. That day will come, but that day is not today. The invitation is still open to you. So today is not a day of judgment. It's a day of salvation for you this morning. So if you want to say yes to Jesus, if you want to make him the Lord of your life, invite him into your heart, would you just do me a favor? No one's looking around right now except for me. Just raise your hand and hold it there for a moment. Yep, thank you. I see some hand back there in the back. Thank you. I see another young hand. Praise the Lord. Yeah, other hands may have gone up that I missed. We're gonna give you invitation now to accept Jesus. We're gonna say a simple prayer. It's not the prayer that brings salvation. It's the meaning and the life that follows the prayer that's gonna ensure your ticket to heaven. It's gonna ensure your salvation. This prayer is just a tool that, that initiates the process of following Jesus. So all you have to do is say something like this, Lord Jesus, I'm sorry for my sins. I know I've messed up. I know I've been living life my way, giving no care to your standards, giving no care to your truth, to your morality, and I'm sorry. I'm ready to repent of my sin and follow you. Thank you for dying on the cross taking my sin, taking my guilt and shame, rising again so that I could be saved. I invite you to be the Lord of my life. And from this day forward, I will live for you. In Jesus' name. Listen, if you said that prayer, in just a moment, there's gonna be some prayer team members up here. They'd love to meet you. 
They've got a bag that they want to give you, and that bag is a card, is a Bible, is a pamphlet that's going to help you on your next steps, because this is just the beginning, right? I'm going to invite all of us around the room. Can we stand one more time before we dismiss? And as you're standing, the prayer team is getting in place. If you need prayer for anything, these men and women are here to pray for you, to pray with you. But before we go, can we just one more time, can we just re-surrender to the Lord? I don't know what the Lord has been dealing with you. He convicted you of something that you need to repent of. Just take one more moment. Let's do business with God for just about 45 more seconds. Come on, right now, all over the room. Lord Jesus, we recommit to you. Lord, though none go with me, still I will follow. Lord, no turning back. We are all in for you. Lord, I pray that we would be the kind of people that don't hide the name of Jesus, but we boldly and gladly proclaim the name of Jesus, not in an obnoxious way, but in a loving way, like a dove, if you will, that has all the fruit of the Spirit. So help us this week to walk with love and joy and peace and patience and all of that. Help us, Lord, not to look like the world's wolves, but to look like God's sheep. Help us, Lord, to be on mission, to be looking for that one that we can make a difference in their life, that one that we can minister to and tell them that there's a God who loves them, that has a plan and a purpose for them. And Lord, right now, we just repent of anything that would get in the way of being all in for you. Forgive us when we've been ashamed of the name of Jesus. Lord, from this day forward, we're going to count it a joy. It is a blessing. It is a privilege. It is an honor to be ridiculed, to be mocked, to be persecuted for the sake of Jesus. And Lord, right now, I do think of those that are being persecuted. Maybe some here, maybe some on the other side of the world. Lord, I just read recently, 13 people are going to die today because they believe in you. Lord, I pray that you would surround them with your love and comfort their families with your love and your presence. And Lord, we pray for everyone that perishes because of the name of Jesus, that 10, 100, maybe even 1,000 would come to repentance. Lord, we know that persecution is on the rise, but so is the proclamation of the name of Jesus. And as long as we have breath, we are going to lift up the name of Jesus. Come on, everybody, one more time. Let's lift it up to him. Lord, we love you. We're committed to you. We're all in for you. We have decided to follow Jesus. Hallelujah. Now let me pray for you. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his countenance shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show you his favor and give you his peace. May you walk with the Spirit of God that's going to direct your every thought and your every word. May he give you that right now word for that right now moment. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Come on. Are you glad to be in the house of the Lord today? Thankful for his word. And listen, if you're new, I'll meet you in the Welcome Center in just a few moments. Growth track will start momentarily. But before you go, greet one another or have one of these men and women pray for you. We love you, and we'll see you next week.